you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. If you've got a Bible, uh, open it up to, to 1 Corinthians 13. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love to, to give you one, but Nathan is going to read it for us. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know, uh, now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Nathan. Well, good morning. Welcome. My name is Stephen. And this morning we're diving into a challenging topic. Can you imagine being so afraid that you can't sleep at night? Can you imagine hiding in the bushes night after night rather than sleeping in your own bed for fear of being killed because of your ethnicity or religion? Well, this is the reality for many people in our world. This is the reality for many Burkinabis and many others in the Sahel, a region of Africa that includes the countries of Burkina Faso, Chad, Mali, and Niger. According to the UNHCR, that is the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, there are more than 2.6 million people displaced internally within those countries. And there are over 930,000 refugees and asylum seekers seeking protection internationally. This is just one example, and I'll share a few more a bit later. But my hope for us this morning is, well, my hope this morning is to highlight for us some of the challenges facing refugees, asylum seekers, and internally displaced people. Uh, to explain some terms that we're using, give a brief summary of what does the left say versus what does the right say, and then spend a good chunk of time 
in Scripture, seeing how God calls us, His people, to respond. These matters are complex, uh, and I am not an expert by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, There's a lot that we just don't have time to delve into. But I hope that you will be able to engage with what I have to share this morning, and I hope that God's Spirit would be at work amongst us to unite us as His people in showing love to those in need. And I invite you now to join with me as I pray to that end this morning. Father, I ask that you would help us this morning to look to you in the midst of this challenging topic. Thank you that in the midst of our own human biases and failures, you continue to work in our midst. Would you speak to us this morning and would your Holy Spirit continue to transform our lives? We pray this in your Son Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we start, let me explain uh, some of these terms that we'll be using. Uh, And these terms are explained as per the UNHCR's website. The first one is asylum seeker, when people flee their own country and seek sanctuary in another country they apply for asylum, that is, the right to be recognized as a refugee and to receive legal protection and material assistance. An asylum seeker must demonstrate that his or her fear of persecution in his or her home country is well-founded. Another term that we'll be using is internally displaced people. An internally displaced person or IDP is someone who has been forced to flee their home, but they never cross an international border. These individuals seek safety anywhere they can find it, in nearby towns, in schools, settlements, internal camps, even in forests and fields. IDPs, which include people displaced by internal strife and natural disasters, are the largest group that the UNHCR assists. Unlike refugees... Internally displaced peoples are not protected by international law and they're not eligible to receive many types of aid because they're legally under the protection of their own government. A third term that we'll be using this morning is the term refugee. According to the UNHCR, refugees are, by definition, in need of international protection, being outside their country of origin because of serious threats against which the authorities of their home country cannot or will not protect them from. Left unprotected, they seek protection from a country of refuge and from the international community. It is this vital need for international protection that most clearly distinguishes this category from others crossing international borders. Refugees are broadly understood to include all persons outside their countries of origin who are in need of international protection because of a serious threat to their life, physical integrity, or freedom in their country of origin as a result of persecution, armed conflict, violence, or serious public disorder. Now, maybe some of you watch the news like clockwork every evening. Maybe some of you I don't watch the news all that often, and so I want to share with you a little bit more about what is happening in our world right now. Syria has been in the grips of a civil war for the past 11 years, resulting in 6.7 million people 
being displaced internally and a similar number of people seeking refuge internationally. Perhaps you're more familiar with what's happening in Afghanistan. There are 2.3 million refugees who have fled their homes to escape from violent government and religious regimes. And then there's the war that continues in Ukraine, where more than 5.6 million people have fled their homes and sought refuge in other countries. There's an estimated 7.1 million people in Ukraine who have been internally displaced from their homes as a result of the war. The UN has labelled this the fastest and largest displacement of people in Europe since World War II. And then, even within Australia, we've had the displacement of our own Indigenous peoples since the start of colonisation. Last week, Zach mentioned terra nullius, which means a land without people or nobody's land. When the first colonists arrived, they assumed that because there were few natives along the coastland, that inland there'd be even less. And so they incorrectly assumed uh, that this land belonged to no one, and so they declared that it was open for people to come and settle it and to claim the land that we call Australia. And in doing this, they displaced an innumerable number of First Nations peoples. The displacement of Indigenous Australians continued with the stolen generations from 1910 through to the 1970s, where First Nations kids were forcibly removed from their families as a result of various government policies in attempts to assimilate them in with white society. This topic is heavy. And the reality is that there are many people, so many people in our world right now who have been displaced within their own country or who are seeking asylum and refuge internationally. These people are fleeing death. They're fleeing persecution. They're fleeing discrimination, seeking a a place of safety, a place that they can call home, a place where they can live securely. So the big question for us to consider this morning is, well, what is the responsibility of other countries, including Australia, to care for these people? Narrowing that down further is the question, well, what is our responsibility as God's people to love and care for them? From Scripture, we see in Matthew 22, Jesus is asked, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? To which he responds, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. We'll come back to this again a bit later, but it's important for us to set this as our foundation. We ought to love God with every part of our being, and then alongside that, we ought to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. But what does that look like to love our neighbor 
as we love ourselves. I'm only going to briefly mention positions on the left, on the left and the right. Typically, in, re- in relation to refugees and asylum seekers, those who lean to the left typically seek to provide more aid to refugees. Meanwhile, position of those leaning more to the right is to emphasize stricter border control to protect the safety of citizens. And the latter is probably what we have seen more of in our Australian context, particularly relating to those who seek to arrive in Australia by boat. We're in a bit of a a unique situation. Australia is an island nation completely surrounded by oceans. It's far far easier for us to monitor our borders and to discourage asylum seekers and refugees from arriving on our shores. Countries like Turkey, Colombia, Germany and Uganda share land borders with other nations and they're also closer in proximity to people who are fleeing and seeking protection. Between those four countries, they currently host over 8 million refugees. In comparison, over the past 77 years or so, Australia has helped to resettle over 800,000 refugees and asylum seekers. Currently, there are roughly 60,000 refugees and people seeking asylum living in this country. When it comes to Australia's policies dealing with refugees and asylum seekers, particularly, by those, particularly for those arriving by boat, in other words, without an approved Australian visa, our two major parties, Labor and the Liberal National Coalition, supposedly representing the left and the right respectively, have tended to be more right-leaning. However, there have been occasions when they've both lent more to the left too. Uh, The following details have been taken from a document produced by the Refugee Council of Australia. Uh, And most of the policies that they talk about are in relation to those arriving by boat. In the 1970s, with Malcolm Fraser and the Liberal Party in power, thousands of Vietnamese refugees were settled here in Australia. 20 years later, when Cambodian refugees increased, the Labor government introduced laws to detain these people. Throughout the 90s and even over the past two decades, both major parties have introduced new measures restricting the rights of those seeking asylum before the courts and tribunals of Australia, making it all but impossible for those arriving by boat to be resettled in Australia. In 2001, under John Howard's Liberal government, the MV Tampa, a Norwegian boat uh, that had been rescuing people uh, who's rescuing asylum seekers whose boats had sunk, they were turned away from Australia. Uh, Howard introduced new offshore processing policies that led to refugees being hosted offshore in Nauru and in PNG while their claims were being determined. He brought in the Navy to turn boats back as part of Operation Relax, and he also introduced the first version of temporary protection, where after three years, refugees who had arrived by boat 
would be required to reapply and prove that they still needed protection. However, once approved, that second visa was permanent. In February 2008, the Labour Party ended offshore processing and they also ended temporary protection, granting all those on temporary protection visas permanent protection. But then things changed again after that. Offshore processing was re-established. In December 2010, there was a boat that crashed off Christmas Island, killing up to 50 or more asylum seekers from Syria and Afghanistan. And Operation Sovereign Borders was established to again turn boats away that were bringing asylum seekers to Australia. Now, for those arriving in Australia over the past decade with legitimate visas, most of these people arriving by air, the number of places made available by the respective governments has fluctuated from 20,000 places a year to as low as just under 14,000 places per year. Now, the current Labor government has promised to increase that number to 27,000 places. But even then, it was reported a couple of months ago that Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has confirmed that people seeking asylum and who arrive by boat still will not be able to be resettled here in Australia. There is a lot for us to grapple with, and this is just skimming the surface. There are so many other issues at stake as we consider refugees and asylum seekers. I'm sure that there are concerns even amongst those gathered here that fall both on the left and the right. There are those who want to love and aid these people as much as possible, while others are concerned about what that might mean for the security of our present lives, but also the future of this nation. It is important for us, as God's people, to turn to His Word And to see what God says on this topic, allowing Him to shape us accordingly. And so what does God's Word say? Depending on what translation you use, you may or may not find the word refugee in your Bible. However, much is made of those who are strangers, exiles, sojourners, and foreigners. And I believe that the principles that we see in God's Word relating to them apply to us this morning. And so there are three things that we see in God's Word that I want to point out to us this morning that are relevant to today's topic. Firstly, we see that God commands His people to love the sojourners and foreigners in their midst by making provision for their needs and by including them in their community. In the Old Testament, in Leviticus 19, verse 9, Moses writes this, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. He continues in verses 33 to 34. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as you love yourself. For you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. 
Perhaps some of that terminology we don't use so much today, and particularly not in the city. Terminology like gleaning. What are the gleanings that Moses is writing about? Well, once the professional harvesters had harvested the fields, say a crop of wheat, the farmers were to leave anything that was left behind for the poor and the foreigner who was living amongst them. Maybe the harvesters missed some bits, or maybe some of the crops didn't pass the quality check. While they may not have been the best parts of the harvest, these gleanings that were left behind were a provision made for God's people to care for the poor, for God's, pe- for God's people to care for the foreigners who were living amongst them. This command for God's people goes beyond just providing for them, though. God's people are commanded to treat strangers and sojourners as one of their own, to love the foreigners as they love themselves. Sounds familiar, right? I mentioned it earlier. Jesus echoes these words in the New Testament when he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Can you imagine putting yourself in the shoes of an asylum seeker or refugee where in your home, in your home country, you're there, you're staying there under threat of death, and so you escape to another country to seek freedom and security. How would you want to be treated? Jesus says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, what does it look like for us to love our neighbor as ourselves? We pondered this question last week when Zach preached on race and reconciliation, and it is again at the center of what we're looking at today. This question ought to be one that each of us asks, no matter whether we lean left or right. How do we make loving and providing for those in need in our community a part of who we are as individuals, but also corporately as God's church on a daily basis and not just when certain events arise. In Romans 12, 13, Paul writes, practice hospitality. Or in other words, practice inviting strangers into your home. Jesus says in Luke 12, 33, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Brothers and sisters, the command from God to Show love to those who are foreigners amongst us and who are in need continues for us today. There are other practical suggestions that I'll share a little bit later on. But the first thing that we see in God's Word is that God's, word, it's that God's people have received a command from God to practically love those who are strangers and sojourners amongst them and to include them in their community. The second thing we see is that God's people have first-hand experience of being refugees, of of seeking asylum and of being displaced. They have experienced what it is like to flee from their homes and to be seeking out a new place to call home. Leviticus 19.34 finishes with, For you were strangers in the land of Egypt, pointing them back to their past, to their history. In a series of unfortunate events, and no, I'm not talking about the TV show, Joseph, the son of Jacob, 
ended up as prime minister of Egypt, just in time to be used by God to help them prepare for a time of terrible drought. Now, this drought affected more than just the country of Egypt. It affected the land surrounding them as well, the land where Joseph's family were. And so in the end, Joseph brought his father's family to Egypt and settled them in the land there. That was all well and good until Joseph died and until the Pharaoh died. Under the new Pharaoh, he was a bit more skeptical of the Israelites. He saw them as a threat and so he enslaved them into forced labor. But in his sovereign timing, God raised up Moses to come and to lead God's people out of Egypt. It wasn't a simple, hey guys, let's just go. They were chased out by Pharaoh's army. They thought they were going to die when they were wedged between Pharaoh's army on one side and the Red Sea on the other before God miraculously parted the sea and allowed his people to go through. But even after that, they wandered around looking, searching for the, following God to see where he was leading them. And as they went, there were skirmishes with other nations as they followed God's directions to where he was leading them. And so in light of their own experiences of being strangers and foreigners seeking refuge, God's reminding them and commanding them to set a higher standard in loving and caring for those who, like them, find themselves as strangers and foreigners in their midst. Now that they have a place to call home, show hospitality to others who don't have that. And we know that that isn't the only time that they were foreigners in another land. We fast forward, we see that God establishes the kingdom of Israel, and yet God's people break covenant with him. And a consequence of that is that a bunch of the Israelites are taken into exile in Babylon, again, being strangers in a foreign land. If we fast forward even further into the New Testament, we find Israel under Roman rule and oppression. The Jews are living in hope that their Messiah will come and deliver them from this Roman rule. And yet when Jesus does come, that's not what we see that happens. He comes to establish a kingdom not of this world. As he says to Pontius Pilate in John 18, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. In later writings by Peter, Paul, and even James, we see terms like sojourner, stranger, foreigner, exile, and diaspora, or those of the dispersion used to refer to God's people who have, been, who have had to flee because of persecution. It was only earlier this year that we did a series in the book of 1 Peter that looked at what it means for us to be sojourners. This is... This has been part of God's people's identity from the Old Testament into the New Testament. And it's part of our identity today as followers of Jesus. Spiritually, we are not of this world. We are not seeking a kingdom in this world, but we are part of a better country that we see 
mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews 11, we see this hall of faith of people who have gone before, the heroes of the faith in some way. It talks about Adam, it talks about Cain and Abel, Noah, Moses, Abraham and Sarah. And then in verse 13 of Hebrews 11, 13, uh, of Hebrews 11 it says, These all died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. Being refugees, asylum seekers, and internally displaced people has been part of our history as God's people, and it continues for us today. Even though we live in a relatively comfortable nation, perhaps you might feel that tension of not really belonging. As you think about being a Christian in your workplace, and maybe even in your family, do you feel a sense of disconnect and maybe even a a hostility towards you because of your faith in Jesus? I was chatting to someone this week uh, who shared that at their workplace, they refrain from putting it out there that they're a Christian. Uh, because of the way that they've seen others who have said they're Christians be treated by management, by the leadership of that organization. And maybe you've had similar experiences where you've been told to shut up about your faith. Maybe you've experienced that discrimination in your workplace as a result of being a Christian. If that's you, then you know what it feels like in part to be displaced and to long for a better place where you can be secure and protected. You know in part what it means to long to be without fear of persecution or consequences for living a life in accordance with your beliefs and convictions. Many of our brothers and sisters feel this more intensely as they are literally displaced in their own countries because of their faith. Some choose to stay for the sake of the gospel. However, some also seek international protection. And this is part of the work that organizations like Voice of the Martyrs is involved in. If your trust is in Jesus this morning, then the good news is that a day is coming when Jesus will return and he will usher in a kingdom which we will get to call home forever. Ben, an Afghan refugee, wrote an article for the Gospel Coalition, and in it he shares, Here, we should remember the truth that Christians are strangers and exiles in the world. God created this beautiful world to be our home, but the first Adam surrendered it to Satan. That sin alienated us from God, from one another, and from creation. But in the Gospel, God offers us a home in a better country through Christ, the second Adam. What a country for us to look forward to. What a day to look forward to. 
However, in the meantime, would we consider our own experiences of being sojourners and strangers in this world? And would we use that to shape how we respond in love to those who are facing the stark reality of stay and be killed or run and be at the mercy of whatever country will open their doors? Ultimately, we have Jesus' example to look to. Did you know that Jesus himself was a refugee? Uh, We see this in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew chapter 2. In Matthew 2, from verse 13, it says, Now when they, that is the wise men, had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Jesus and his, and his family were refugees. Later on when he grew up, he grew up in the town of Nazareth. And after he began his ministry, Jesus lived quite an itinerant life. In other words, he moved around a lot. He didn't have a place to call home. In Matthew 8 and Luke 9, the writers recount a conversation that Jesus has. Someone comes to him and says, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replies, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus knows what it is like to not have a home, to return to at the end of each and every day. He knows what it's like to be constantly on the move. He also knows what it's like to be persecuted and discriminated against. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus was teaching in a synagogue. And it says in verses 28 to 30, that when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Jesus can relate to those who are seeking refuge. He's been there himself. He knows what it's like to be chased out of town by a mob intent on murder. And yet, how does Jesus respond? He responds with love. Though the Jews persecuted him, though they ultimately nailed him to a cross. Jesus chose to continue to show love and grace towards these people. He sets for us an example, not only of what it looks like to be a refugee, but also what it looks like to love others who find themselves in similar situations. Jesus wasn't afraid to sit with strangers. In fact, he sought them out. He spent so much of his time with those whom the rest of society despised and considered outcasts. Later in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 25, In talking about the final judgment, Jesus says, 
Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. This is how we are to fulfill that second greatest commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. To put it simply, we are to see Christ in each person around us, and to love and serve them accordingly. Now, it's one thing to say. It's not so easy a thing to do. It's too easy for us to just ignore people because they're not like us. They make us feel uncomfortable, and as a result, we can unintentionally end up treating them as second-class citizens, forgetting that they're human, just like us, forgetting that they have feelings and longings, that they have dreams, that they have struggles, just like you and I. I had a conversation with a refugee this week, and he told me that if there was one thing that I could encourage you to do today, it is to extend the same love and courtesy to refugees, to asylum seekers, to internally displaced people, as you would to those in your gospel community, as you would to those in your own family. Yes, they might be ethnically, culturally different. They might struggle to speak and understand English. They might eat foods we're unfamiliar with. They might not be able to afford the same lifestyle we have. But deep down, they want the same things that you want. They long to be part of a community that will welcome them and that will love them. They long to have the security of work and finances to be able to provide for themselves and their family. They long for peace and security. Would you be willing to go out of your way to connect with refugees, asylum seekers, and internally displaced people near to your home. We have so many here in Brisbane. Would you be willing to open your home and show hospitality by having strangers over? Sam McGowan is the senior pastor of Village Church over in Kelvin Grove. He's part of a ministry called Mosaics that works with refugees and asylum seekers here in Brisbane. I've heard him share stories of refugees who have lived in Australia for 10 years and yet they've never received an invitation for a meal at someone's house. Could, you, could that perhaps be you? Could you make a habit of connecting in with that community and regularly showing hospitality by inviting these people in to share a meal in your home? Inviting these people in to share in your life, just as we share in one another's lives during the week. 
uh, Rose Ting, who's usually here at the 8.30 service, shared an article with me on Friday afternoon that highlights a program that's going to be piloted whereby refugees in need of resettlement can be sponsored by groups in Australian communities. Uh, The article states that this program will allow Australians to form a group to welcome a refugee household to their area, helping them to settle in their new home. The scheme is modelled on a Canadian scheme that has resettled more than 325,000 refugees over the past 40 years. The Community Refugee Integration and Settlement Pilot will enable community supporter groups to assist refugees to access accommodation, local orientation, education and government services. Could this be something that we as a church get behind here in Brisbane? Is this something that your gospel community or others that you know in your neighbourhood might be in a position to be able to help sponsor and support a refugee family needing resettlement somewhere safe. If you'd be interested in discussing this further, I'd love to have a conversation with you. There are some really practical ways that we can show the love of Christ to these people, to these people seeking refuge, to people who have been displaced in our country, in our communities. Let's not be afraid of the differences between them and us. But rather, let us see Christ in each person we engage with and let us love them with the same love that Christ has shown towards us. He came and died on a cross and was raised back to life so that we could live with the hope of a future secured with God for eternity. Jesus is the only one who can provide the ultimate refuge and protection that we all seek. Grasping firmly to what He has given to us, to what He has promised to give us in the future, let us practically reach out with our hands and our feet to share the same hope and love to those who are seeking for and who need it most, pointing them to the risen, ruling and returning King, Jesus. As the band comes up, would you stand with me and join me in prayer? Father, we thank you uh, for your love for us, for all people. Uh, Father, we thank you that you have sent Jesus to experience what we have experienced, but to even a greater degree, We thank you that Jesus knows what it is like to be persecuted, to be driven out of his hometown, to flee for the sake of his own life. And yet, Father, we see in his example, an example of love, an example of humility, an example of grace. And Father, we ask this morning that you would stir within us the same love for our brothers and sisters. Father, help us to step out beyond our comfort zones, to see those in need in our communities. We can be so focused and caught up in the busyness of our lives. Help us to see those who are in need, who long for 
family, for connection, for love, for support, for protection, for safety. And Father, may our church, may our communities be places where that can be found, not just for those of us gathered here, but for those who come to these shores seeking protection, seeking safety, seeking a loving community. Father, would you help us to love you wholeheartedly and would you help us to love our neighbours as ourselves? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.